Take your Bible and turn into the New Testament. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn there and hold your place. Let me say this. Uh, music team, choir, this Amber, all the musicians, thank you very much for being here, for being prepared to worship. Uh, these songs do not get sung with anointing and power and passion and dedication like they do every Sunday without preparation. And I thank you for your commitment, not to the church, but to the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship him and to lead us in worship. I love and appreciate you. Next door is the first Sunday for TKC, Trinity Kids Church. Brother John is next door in the upper level of the Children's and Student Center. And there he will be teaching and preaching the word of God. And thank you for being a part of that. I know and expect that that will grow as time goes on. And we pray that it's a great benefit to the family as you come and worship the Lord. Second Timothy chapter three, we'll come back to this in just a moment, but I do want you to be there and kind of hold your place. I have a very specific burden to share from my heart this morning. And if I had to put it into context, I believe, I was, I was thinking between the services this morning during Sunday school hour, this might be one of the most important messages that a pastor can preach in 2022. When you take everything that's happening in our world and you put it into context, there is something that all of us must wholeheartedly embrace. The Bible is not set up for your life about learning about things that took place and that be the end of it. The Bible is not dated. The Bible is still relevant. And it's relevant not just for what took place as recorded history in Scripture, but it is relevant for everyday living in this world that we're living in. The Bible has great benefit even in 2022. Well, you say, well, the Bible's getting really old. Thousands of years these texts are. Well, the Bible is the only book that you'll find in the universe that's inerrant, infallible, and it's inspired by a holy God. The Bible is by itself. There is no other book. There is no other works. There is no spoken word that can match the power, the authority, the importance, and the relevance as God's word contains. It will give you wisdom. It will give you discernment. And through the Holy Ghost, it will lead and guide your life as a believer. Every single person in this room must be consuming the word of God each and every single day. Now, get that thought in your mind. And now let's back out to a 10,000 foot view of where we are on God's timeline. Where we are on God's timeline. Church, with all the love in my heart, I think it is very possible that some Christians with good intentions are truly confused about where we are on God's timeline. You see, if we pay attention to the word of God and if we incorporate what's taking place in our world and we look at the world with a biblical perspective, 
a biblical worldview, not a secular or a postmodern worldview, but if we look at the world in which we are living through the lens of God's word, then we will see clearly that we are living in the last days. We are in the final chapters, the final hours of life as we know it on this earth. And if you find that comment, that claim to be an abrasive statement, or if you find it outlandish, sci-fi, or Hollywood, if you think that someone that says that the end is here, that we are in the last days, that the Lord is coming again, and instantly you think to Hollywood or sci-fi, or this is a mad scientist claim, then you're not paying attention to what the Word of God says. Christians in your 20s, Christians in your 30s and 40s, uh, it's very difficult. It's especially hard for us who are that age to embrace the fact that we are living in the last days. It's not the main focus of our lives. It's not a normal thought process of young people who in their mind have many days left. You're thinking about families. You're thinking about careers and building houses and living life. It's not the primary focus or thought process of young people to be thinking in the context that this could be over before tomorrow comes, that we are in the last days. And some will even say, now listen, this goes somewhere. Allow your heart to be open to this. Allow the word of God in a moment even to, to maybe even change your heart or change your mind. But some would even skeptically say that preachers have been preaching that for a long time. I've heard preachers preach a long time that the Lord is coming back, that these are the last days. You're right, and so are they. Preachers have preached by faith with some of them great faith. The farther back you go in time, the more faith it took to preach it because certain things had not taken place. But within the last 75 years, the last 75 years, things have happened, things have taken place. The pendulum has obviously been struck yet again and we are on the brink of maybe that even by the end of the day, we could be in a different state than we were when we woke up. And that would be that Jesus Christ would come for his bride, come for his church, his second coming, the second advent of our Lord and Savior. And you've got to come to terms with reality that that's exactly where we are as people. We say, well, I've heard preachers say that. Uh, Pastor, even your great-grandfather who died preaching that, he said that, yes, he did, and he preached it with great faith, and he preached it with great passion. But our founding pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton Sr., got to see things in a way that many of us will never be able to see things. You see, our founding pastor, my poppy, he surrendered to preach in the 1930s. Anyone here, uh, were you born or alive in the 1930s? Would you raise your hand? God bless you. God bless you. Many over here, God bless you. These folks were alive in 1930. This is around the time our founding pastor surrendered to the call to preach. And he preached faithfully and he preached with great passion that Jesus is returning. Jesus is coming back. And he did it for all of his ministry. In 1939, the month was August, Nazi Germany attacks Poland and Hitler launched a campaign of death and destruction of the Jewish people. 
And Poppy in that time in 1939 was in Nyack, New York. He was training and preparing. And in that time period, he had to preach that the Lord was coming back. And not only that the Lord was coming back, but pay attention to this, don't lose this, but he had to preach in the 30s and in the 40s and even in the early 50s that not only is Jesus coming back, but the Jew is going to repatriate Jerusalem. The Jews are going to come home. They're going to have a nation. They're going to thrive. They're going to prosper. And he had to preach up against what was taking place in culture and even in the news. 1945, all the things that were found and discovered by American GIs, by red Soviet troops, when Auschwitz was discovered, all the thousands of people that had been executed there, they were Jews Six million women, children, and men were exterminated. Meanwhile, the men of God who had the truth in their lap had to preach up against the fact that the Jews were being wiped off the earth and preach by faith, greater faith, I may say, than what we have to today, that the Jews would go home, the Jews would repatriate, and that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. Fast forward to 1945 and the war comes to an end. Midnight, May 14th, 1948. The provisional government of Israel proclaimed a new state called Israel. And on that same date, the United States via a phone call by President Truman recognized the provisional Jewish government as the de facto authority of the new Jewish nation known as Israel. Jews were coming home. The war had just ended in 1945. It's now 1948, just three years later, and all of a sudden there's a shocking earthquake of Bible prophecy that comes to life right before those people's very eyes that the Jew was coming home and coming home to Jerusalem. Fast forward again, it's 1951. We're in Naples, Italy. Everybody say Naples, Italy. That's where we are. We're on the port. There is a beautiful little white ship. It's been painted many times. It's old. It's battered. And it's the only ship that flies the flag of the new Jewish state with the white and the blue, the prayer talit that's been turned into a flag, the star of David. And on that ship are hundreds of Jews that have survived Europe, Jews coming from Bulgaria, Jews that have survived Poland, Jews coming back from Canada, and they've made it to Naples, Italy to get on the SS Kedma. S.S. Kedma. Say Kedma with me. Kedma. And on this ship are hundreds of Jews and three Gentiles. An unknown man from Texas, one man named Bly Jackson, and another named Ralph Sexton. And these hundreds of Jews and three Gentiles, two from North Carolina, one from Texas, take a trip to the east to go to a port called Haifa. And the word Kedma actually means to go east, and east is exactly what they did. As they're on their journey, the morning of Monday, they get up and there's a commotion, they're screaming, there's yelling, and they go outside and find someone who speaks English, the Texan and the two North Carolinians. They find one Jew that spoke enough English to explain what they were shouting about, what they were crying about. And the Jew says, look above the fog, look above what's in front of the ship, and there you'll see Mount Carmel, we're home, we're safe, we're coming back, and here we are. And they land safely in the port of Haifa. According to Poppy's book, 
He said in that moment, Isaiah 11, 11, rushed his heart. The Bible says this, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. Poppy had to preach up against that. He had to preach up against the fact that they were exterminating the Jew. But just a few years later, by faith, God's man on the front of the bow of that ship saw Mount Carmel, the Jews all around him, and God answered his book. He held up his promise and the Jew came home. And here we are 75 years later and Israel's just had an election. Israel is still doing what God's called them to do, to be those people, to protect the promise he put inside of them, that they are the apple of his eye. They have a military, they have an army, they have an air force, they have a special forces that can kill you dead from anywhere in the world and you don't even know about it. I'm talking they have elevated beyond anything anyone would have ever thought in 1948. Some would even write in their personal memoirs that Israel was a joke to them. This little nation will be overrun in just a few weeks. We can acknowledge them because they won't be around long enough for it to matter. The Egyptians will overtake them. The Jordanians will come from the Hashemite kingdom and wipe them out. They won't even survive a generation. But God made a promise in Isaiah. And yet here we are again, 75 years ago, they became a nation and they're still alive. They're still thriving. You say, what hill of beans does it matter to me as a Bible believer? The fact that you're here in this day, in this hour, and Israel is still the nation that it is, ought to bring something up in your heart of expectation that the other half of this promise is coming soon. The desert is blooming as a rose. There are plans to send water from the Red Sea to heal the Dead Sea. In my generation, it could be that there's enough fresh water to dilute the Dead Sea that it would become brackish water and that you could fish once again in the Dead Sea, fulfilling Bible prophecy that they will dry their nets on the shore of the Dead Sea and God is proving to you, he's showing you, he's sounding the alarm, he's yelling it loud, his son is coming again. Second Timothy chapter three, know this also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. This is where we are. This is us. This is our culture. You say, well, hasn't there always been perilous times? Yes, there has. Hasn't there always been wars and rumors of wars and famine and issues and problems? Yes, there has. But there has never been in 
any point in any time in all of history where there are wars, rumors of wars, famine, peril, destruction, and collapse, and sitting across the ocean 6,000 miles away, there is a Knesset full of organized, well-funded, governed Jews known as Israel. That's the key. The fact that we are seeing the peril, the famine, the wars, the rumors of wars, and Israel is alive and well and thriving, and they're still coming home 75 years later. You better be paying attention to what's taking place. Wouldn't it be sad if the generation that was to welcome the Messiah the second time was to fall asleep behind the wheel because we lost faith and we lost hope and we lost sight and our anticipation turned into cold, calloused laziness. What a plan the devil would have if that were the case. Take it in. Understand it. Believe it. Ask the Lord to help you believe it. And now through God's word, we're going to respond to the fact that these are the last days. Because here's the truth. Christians who want to live for the Lord in these days, especially American Christians, you're living in a culture of self Worth, instant gratification, moralless, lightless lovers of self who are in charge, who are in control, and who have the loudest voice, even for our children. We're in this place that the Bible talked about. Lovers of their own selves more than anything else, especially more than God. Perilous means exceedingly fierce. Exceedingly fierce. It means that it reaches every part of life. He's saying in the end times, the last days, exceedingly fierce things will take place that will reach into every aspect of your life. You say, what do you mean every aspect of my life? Moral collapse in our culture. Spiritual collapse in many churches. Cultural collapse on a on a way, in a way that we cannot even say anymore in mixed company. Financial collapse, political collapse. And I do not have to take time to categorize what exactly has taken place in our country. This is not 1919. We're not waiting four or five days for news. You can get on Instagram, you can get on Facebook, you can get on Twitter, you can get on TikTok, you can go to the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Asheville Citizen Times, and find out just how collapsed we already are. Our country is broken. Our city is broken. Our financial institutions are broken. Why are they broken? Why are they collapsed? Because people who are unsaved, uncaring, and uncompassionate, who have not the love of God in their heart, are people who are in charge, people who are in control. Our country, listen church, this isn't to discourage you, this is to encourage you, but our country, our culture is jam-packed full of people who are haters of God. 
They hate light. They hate truth. They hate Jesus Christ. They hate his name. They hate the Holy Ghost. They hate life and they hate Christians. Take it in. We are living in an age of liars, lunatics, and lawbreakers. But church, those people are not your primary focus. That's not what we are to dive into every day to try to figure out how to fix the liars, fix the lunatics, and fix the lawbreakers. The truth is, you can't fix a liar, I can't fix a liar, I can't fix a lunatic, and I can't fix a lawbreaker. Save Jesus Christ. Controlling their life, can they be fixed? Jesus is still the only hope. And if you are consuming news and watching politics and you're becoming infuriated to the point that your salt is losing its saltiness or your light is hidden under the bushel and the burden of things that you cannot control, then you're robbing Christ himself of glory. The charge to the church is not to wrestle with flesh and blood. The charge to the church is to be salt, to be light, and to be different. Those liars, lunatics, and lawbreakers are not our focus. We weep for the lost. We pray for revival. But church, as you pray for revival, you better be praying for rapture because soon and very soon, the Lord Jesus is coming again. So let me ask you this question. Are you prepared for the undeniable truth, the inevitable that Jesus is coming again? Are you prepared? Not your wife, not your husband, not your children. I'm talking to you, the individual, the person. Are you prepared for the, unine- for the inevitable that Jesus is coming again? Are you ready? 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Christians, listen to me. You want motivation to be obedient to the word of God? You want motivation to serve the Lord and build up his kingdom? Remember, you're going to stand before Christ one day and give an account for every second of every breath of every moment of the life he gave you on this earth. You'll stand before him. And the good news is he will reward you for your labor. But then he'll also look at you and according to what you have done, good or bad, he will judge you. You say, well, I don't want to participate in such judgment. That's okay. You can have that heart of rebellion now. But one day, the Bible's very, very clear that every single person will bow. You can be rebellious now. But one day your knee will bow. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know that ye are not your own selves. How that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Paul was asking this group in Corinth, Prove your own selves. Is your faith genuine? Do you really believe Have you repented of your sin? Turn from your wicked way. Has God opened your eyes to the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or do you simply have a form of godliness denying the power thereof? You see, your mama cannot get you into heaven. Your daddy cannot get you into heaven. Your best friend, 
your pastor, your Sunday school teacher, they can do nothing to save you. This is something that's personal between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm your pastor. I love you, but I can't save you. Only Jesus can do that. Are you ready for the inevitable? That Jesus is coming? Romans 14, 11 says, For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. I would not leave this room. I wouldn't go home without talking to someone about what it really means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ if you are unsure. Don't bet on eternity. The word of God is very clear. This is something that only the Holy Ghost of God can do in your heart and in your life. But know that you know. Try yourselves. Prove to yourselves that you're in the faith and be prepared for the inevitable. Secondly, get your expectations in line with God's word. Get your expectations in line with God's word. I think some people hear I'm a Christian. I think folks that are lost and undone who look on the outside and they look in. I think sometimes the, the, the misconception is that if I'm a Christian, then my life is going to be perfect. It's going to be a bed of roses. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, James 5, 7, it teaches this. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. That's me and you. And hath long patience for it until he received the earthly, the early and the latter rain. Be also, there it is again, patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of what? For an example of what? Suffering affliction and of patience. There again for the third time. Before Jesus comes back, this is not going to be a walk in the park. This is not going to be a day at the beach. And God is calling you to be patient in well-doing. I'm not good at patience, but I need to be reminded daily that great is the reward for those who labor for his glory. Be patient. Understand that this is not a day at the beach. Your home is not here. Your home is waiting for you in a land that is indescribable in the English or Italian or French or Spanish language. There is no language other than the love language we will speak in heaven itself that will be able to describe the beauty, the splendor, and the reward for those who work for his kingdom. Be busy about obedience for your father. Be patient, he said. Strengthen your hearts. How do you do that? From the word of God. If you're living in this life as a Christian in 2022 and you're not reading the word of God every day, you're emaciated. You're sick. You're malnourished. And until you get yourself in a habit of eating bread and drinking water from a living source, you'll never go anywhere. You'll stay right where you are, broken and dejected. He said, grudge not. Complain not against one another. We're all humans. Everyone that's human in the building, raise your hand. If anybody doesn't raise their hand, get their picture. 
You better have your hand up. Human, fallen, broken, imperfect, saved, sanctified, but I'm still waiting for glorification. I can hurt your feelings. I can do something that makes you mad. I can say something that you think is so wrong, you could just bury me in the backyard. I'm human, so are you. And James said, as these days come, that tension and that pressure between the family of God is going to be palpable. And you're going to have to discern what to say and when to say it. Be patient, even with one another. But get your expectations right with the word of God. And then take the prophets for an example of suffering and affliction and patience. There is joy in this life that you can experience. I experience joy every day of my life. There's peace. There are moments that are just beyond anything I could ever deserve or expect. But as I get a little older, and I use that word very loosely, I'm 32, but as I get older, I'm finding that the moments of real happiness, real joy, and real peace, they aren't in anything that this world has to offer me. Nothing. I have stood behind home plate at Truist Park and I've seen Spencer Strider throw 16 strikeouts in one baseball game. Whoa, look out. Broke John Smoltz's record playing the Colorado Rockies. You'd have thought those people there were gonna lose their mind. And for a moment I went, yeah, it's great and I'm really excited and I got to take a picture. Awesome. But it doesn't even scratch the surface when I look over left and someone is in the presence of God getting birthed into his kingdom from a low place of brokenness. There is real joy. There is real peace. There is real happiness. And some of us are wondering why we're so low and so depressed and so anxious and so sad all the time and so broken in our spirit is because we refuse to look at the things that Christ has given us us as peace, joy, and happiness. And he'll give it to you liberally on top of wisdom and discernment to face the evil, to face the wickedness, to face the darkness, which goes to my last point. Believers can expect God to keep them. You can expect God to keep you. Keep you from what? Falling. Failing plunging deeper into depression, plunging deeper into darkness and despair. Jude, the 17th through the 25th verse. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you, they told you, they warned you, there should be mockers in the last time. Students, you may go to school with your Bible and be mocked. You may even have an egghead teacher look at you and say you're a fool if you believe that Bible. If you'll just be faithful to obey and trust, God will sustain you and keep you from falling. There will be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, 
hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion, power, both now and forever, amen. He will see you all the way to the house and you can trust him. And if you're here today and you're down in despair, you're looking at the world around you and it's broken and it's fractured and it's got you sad and feeling separated from joy and peace. Look up, child of God, for your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. I said Jesus is coming again. And it could be before we get home. Are you ready? Or do you stand back as an observer with your skeptical eyes and your doubting heart and if you're not careful, he'll come and you won't be ready. The trumpet will sound, it'll be too late. The lungs of the archangel will fill with wind from a holy place, but it will be too late. Know that you know that your name's been recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Do not play with eternity and be ready for the trumpet to sound. You said that's wild, crazy preaching. We need that to stop in these days. No, that's exactly what got us to where we are and it's exactly what will get us all the way home. People in these mountains who are looking up every day with expectant hearts who believe that Jesus could come at any moment. It's our history, it's our heritage and it's time that we start looking with anticipating hearts because he could come even today. If you're down in despair, look up. If your heart is breaking, move on past the break. Give it to him and say, Jesus, I want to make you happy. Jesus, I want to be obedient. Give me something to do for your kingdom until I'm relieved of duty. Because church, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, my faith will become sight. I can't imagine being on the bow of that ship, the SS Kedma, in 1951, when Poppy saw Mount Carmel for the very first time. And I can't imagine what it was when he took his last breaths in that little house right across the street here. And his faith became full sight. And he got to see Jesus face to face. Our day's coming and it's coming soon. I want you to be encouraged, church. I want you to look up. Don't think for five seconds that this is the time to play dead spiritually. This ain't the time to circle the wagons, lay in a big pile and cry. No, 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 no. This is the time we get to work for the king. The king's given you orders. Are you following them? The king has dispatched us to work. Are you doing what he's called us to do? The church, we've got work to do. We've got expectant hearts that are available if we'll just simply hold on to the truth of his word. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to close a little bit differently than I did even at 8 o'clock. This keeps coming up in the message this morning. 
I think the Lord wants to help somebody. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice? Man, woman, teenager, boy, girl, doesn't matter how old you are, worshiping with us online, that can say, Pastor, I'm in a difficult place. I'm in a hard time. I'm depressed. I'm sad. I'm anxious. And I need the Lord to give me some help. No one's going to come to you. No one's looking around. No one's moving unless they have to. But would you just be man enough, woman enough to raise your hand? I want to be able to know how to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand? God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir, in the back. Hands all over the building. You're in a tough place. Anything, listen to me now, church, anything that robbed you of a promise made in God's word that he'd never leave you nor forsake you, that he would see you all the way through, that he would keep you from falling, anything that takes that truth and challenges it is nothing more than spiritual warfare. There's a fight in the mind. There's a darkness that creeps in. It's real, it's tangible. The devil is fighting so hard right now you can barely breathe. God's people who are to be full of joy and happiness, subdued by darkness, robbed of their song, a heart that's broken, shackled to things that it doesn't belong shackled to. And today is your day of freedom. If you'll just step out in faith and ask him, he will be faithful. To answer. Let's stand all over this building. There were dozens of hands that went up. I'm not giving any more invitation right now. All those that raised their hand, you're having a difficult time. If you'd like to come pray, we want to pray with you. No one's looking around. We're all praying. We're all asking God to do what only he can. So many hands went up. If you've got a special object of prayer and you'd like to come pray for it, if you've got someone that's lost and undone in your family and they need to be saved, I want you to come pray for them. If you've got a burden for those children next door at TKC, that God would touch them and open their little eyes at a young age. If you don't mind, if you got a burden, would you come pray for those children? Somebody go get God. Ask him to do what only he can. And in faith believing, he'll sustain us. He'll take us all the way home. Church, let us pray.